And thank you for joining us for a new episode of American Ag Today, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Well, the blast of Arctic air coming across the nation should have beef cattle producers on edge. University of Illinois Extension beef cattle educator Teresa Steckler says there are a few things that should be done to protect animals from the cold. There's a couple different things going on here. One is the fact we've had a lot of rain as of late. Hair coats may be wet, which has also led to wet ground. Um, with these frigid temperatures that are coming, we really need to get some corn stovers or something straw, something down on the ground. If you do not have a windbreak, try to figure out how to make a windbreak. That could uh, really help these animals out in these uh, trying times when the wind chill drops uh, below 20 degrees um, as the, the uh, wind picks up and they have a wet hair coat, they need even more grub, more uh, resources, more nutrition to get them through these trying times. Steckler says upping the feed intake is really important. If the cattle are shivering, they're not getting enough food to keep warm. They need to have good, high-quality feedstuffs during this time to keep those the microbial action going and pro- producing the heat. But if they have a wet hair coat and you're not feeding them enough, they'll probably go into shivering. They'll probably quit eating, um, and they'll probably quit drinking water. So keep just keep a good eye on the cattle. The other thing that you want to really do is we're going to have a breeding, spring breeding coming up. We need to provide areas for bulls to be able to rest uh, to, when they lay down. You want to ensure that the scrotums do not get frostbitten, or any uh, other areas uh, vital to reproduction. So that could really impact the bull's ability to get your cows pregnant. And Steckler says the primary needs for beef cattle as the temperatures drop are to give them a place to shelter from the wind and to increase their feed rations. Again, that is University of Illinois Extension beef cattle educator, Teresa Steckler. Well, there's been a lot of talk about foreign ownership of farmland here in recent months. And foreign ownership of farmland is definitely a concern with some states taking an active role. 3.1% of privately held farmland has foreign ownership, and there is a question of whether it's a national or state-level issue. Director of the National Ag Law Center, Harrison Pittman, says it will be both. And has been for a long time. Um, And, you know, those lines are kind of shifting around. States have certainly become more active uh, from a historical perspective than than they have been in in recent decades. Um, But there are a number of federal proposals. A couple of states have already taken action when it comes to blocking or prohibiting foreign ownership of farmland. Pittman points to a Syngenta plot in Arkansas. With the company owned by ChemChina, it faced action by the state. Not all these state laws are, are the same. I don't think you could even describe them as having a uniformity. Um, and interestingly, Arkansas was a state that had neither a grandfather clause uh, and it didn't have a research exception, which a lot of these laws do. And Pittman says it's likely that foreign ownership of farmland will be addressed in the farm bill, but it will be difficult to find a political consensus. A lot of these depend on, these proposals would depend on USDA taking a much more active role. But to do that, they're going to need a lot of resources and they're going to have to add a lot of people, which is money. And so you may have people that think it's a terrific idea, but they may not think it's a terrific idea at the same time to expand USDA in that way. Again, that's Harrison Pittman, director of the National Ag Law Center. 
Well, agricultural and business trends to think about this decade include the green movement and pushback against those efforts. Dr. David Cole, Professor Emeritus of Agricultural Finance and Small Business Management and Entrepreneurship at Virginia Tech, says some countries are moving away from the green movement. Yeah, I think one of the things that you're starting to see, particularly in the Netherlands, it's called green lash. In other words, people are lashing back at the green energy movement. Particularly, there's inconsistent policies going on around the world. India and China are adding coal-fired plants, while other nations are, you know, the green initiatives. And when economies get tight, people uh, go back to the pocketbook. And so the term green lash, I think we're going to hear more and more of that. And and again, artificial intelligence, it kind of goes through an infatuation stage and then goes through the disillusionment stage. Same thing with green energy. So it's going to be interesting to watch that one play out. For agriculture, Dr. Cole explains what to consider. I think one of the things we've got to be really careful on the green energy uh, is that, you know, a number of farms have been approached, you know, to put up some or do some green energy initiatives. My whole contention is, is it still going to be profitable after the government subsidies are gone? So I think you have to look at each, each farm ranch has to look at their specific situation, but also look in the long term to see if it's going to be sustainable and viable uh, and be what we call in the black without all the subsidies. Again, that's Dr. David Cole from Virginia Tech. Well, a new poll from AgriPulse and Stradivation Group finds that farmers and ranchers support electing Donald Trump to another term as president. The effort shows 39% of surveyed farmers say they would most likely vote for Trump, while 19% indicated they would vote for Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Just 8% of surveyed farmers say they would vote for President Joe Biden. Of the 605 farmers that participated in the survey, 61% identified as Republicans, with 45% of that group favoring Trump. Now, 10% of the survey participants identified as Democrats, with 62% of those farmers supporting Biden. Another 18% of farmers identified as independents. Stradivation Group conducted the study between December 14th and 22nd, including farmers and ranchers from the Midwest, South, and California. The first presidential primary vote comes Monday as Republicans hold the Iowa caucus. Well, U.S. wheat imports are forecasted to be at their highest in six years for the 23-24 marketing year, according to USDA's Economic Research Service. Consecutive years of drought in key U.S. growing regions of hard red winter wheat have tapered U.S. output, elevating domestic prices. Millers have sought less expensive sources, including competitively priced wheat from the European Union. U.S. imports of hard red winter wheat, mostly from the EU, for the 23-24 marketing year are at 25 million bushels, a record high, and up from 5 million bushels from 22-23's marketing year. This trade flow is atypical as U.S. wheat imports are normally driven by hard red spring and Durham wheat from neighboring Canada. Now, in the 2017-18 marketing year, imports from Canada of both classes of wheat were elevated because of drought-related supply issues in the United States. While the U.S. imports of hard red winter wheat are elevated in this 23-24 marketing year, imports of soft red winter and white wheat are relatively close to normal levels. Well, that is all the time we have for this episode of American Ag Today. Coming up on our next program, we will recap USDA's latest reports and what they mean for the markets. We'll talk with Tommy Grisafi from Advanced Trading and Christy Vanon Shesith with Vanon and Company. That's going to do it for American Ag Today, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. I'm Jesse Allen, wishing you a great rest of your day.